Ezekiel 37 verses 1 to 14. Ezekiel 37 verses 1 to 14. Somebody is changing levels in the name of Jesus Christ. Please, if that is you, can I hear you loud a shout of amen? The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. And it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around and behold, there were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together. Bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds of breath and breathe on this lane that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath came into them and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost. And we ourselves are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. Verse number 14. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live. And I will bless you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. I'm speaking on the subject igniting personal revival. Igniting personal revival. In the passage we read, 
Ezekiel saw very many very dry bones in the open valley. The bones were lifeless, dry, desolate, and exposed to all sorts of terrible conditions because, I mean, they were out in the open valley. According to verse number 11, these very many very dry bones were the whole house of Israel in exile. Somebody shout, Israel in exile. Dry bones are not Israel in their land of promise. No. But Israel in exile. Israel in captivity. And that is where they said, our bones are dry. Our hope is lost. And we ourselves, not some other people, we ourselves, not our forefathers, we ourselves, not our neighbors, we ourselves are cut off. They came to the place of realization that something was not just right. And that's the beginning of change in every situation. When you acknowledge and realize that, look, things are no longer the same. The most difficult person to assist is he who thinks does not have a problem. They said we never used to be like this. Something has gone wrong with us. Our bones are dry. It is a blessing to know. It is a most victory to know that your bones are dry when they are dry. Our bones are dry. We are not going to pretend that the bones are not dry. They are dry. Hmm. And hope is lost. That is what they said. And it was true. It's fatal not to know that something has gone amiss when it has gone amiss. It is dangerous. Samson woke up one day after Delilah had taken off his hair. When he was told that the Philistines are coming on you to attack you, the Bible says he aroused himself as at other times because he did not know that strength had left him. The Bible says that when the children of Israel went to exile, they sat down by the rivers of Babylon and wept. When they remembered Zion, when they remembered, when they realized that they were far away from a place called Zion. I'm talking about Psalm 137 and verse number 1. Psalm 137 and verse number 1. The Bible says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yeah, we wept. 
when we remembered Zion. They were concerned. Not just because they were far away from their farms and their businesses and their mansions. But what made them to weep was the fact that they were far away from Zion. Not necessarily because they were far away from their families, far away from their houses, far away from their businesses, far away from their farms, far away from their investments. No. The point, the remembrance that made them to weep was the remembrance of Zion. Put that verse back there. Psalm 137 and verse number 1. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yeah, we wept. What made you to weep? They said, because we remember Zion. Why? Because Zion was important to them. The Bible shows us that Zion was a place of strategic importance, strategic position, strategic placement in the life of the Jewish people. What was Zion to them? For the children of Israel, Zion was not just a physical location. It was a place of immense spiritual significance. Let us examine a few things about this place called Zion. The psalmist has a lot to say about this blessed place called Zion. Let's pick out seven of them. The spiritual significance of this place called Zion to the, to the Jewish nation, to the Jewish people. Number one, it was God's dwelling place. It was God's dwelling place. Psalm 9 verse 11. Psalm 74 and verse number 2. Psalm 76 and verse number 2. Psalm 132 and verse number 13. Psalm 9 verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Where does he dwell? In Zion. And this is the place they were far away from. And the remembrance of this place, God's dwelling place, met them to weep. Met them to weep. Psalm 74, verse 2, quickly. Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old. Now here it is. The tribe of your inheritance, which you have redeemed. This Mount Zion where you have dwelt. This Mount Zion where you have dwelt. Number two. Zion was a place of salvation. Zion was a place of salvation. Psalm 14 and verse number 7. And Psalm 53 and verse number 6. Psalm 14 and verse number 7. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Oh, that 
salvation, the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. In Psalm 53 and verse number 6, the same thing, all that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. Praise God. Number three, it was a place of divine assistance. Zion was a place of divine assistance. Psalm 20 verses 1 to 2. Psalm 20 verses 1 to 2. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. Now here it is. Verse number 2. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. Out of Zion. He says, may he send you help from the sanctuary. His sanctuary which is in Zion. Number four. It was a place of beauty and joy. Zion was a place where God's people were beautified. Were beautified. Now, I want you to see this in, um, in Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. Now, hear this. The Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now hear this. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Now hear this. To console those who mourn in Zion. So what we are reading about here is happening in a place or at a place called Zion. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is where mourners are comforted. It says to console those who mourn in Zion. To give them what? Beautiful ashes. Where? In, the, in Zion. To give them beautiful ashes. To give them beautiful ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Somebody listening to me is changing levels in the name of Jesus. It was a place of beauty. A place of joy. Psalm 48 verse 2. Psalm 48 and verse number 2. The Bible says, now hear this. Beautiful in elevation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Can I have this verse in the King James Version? It will tell you that Zion is beautiful for situation. It is a place where you come with your ugly conditions and God beautifies you with testimonies. And you are leaving this place with those testimonies. In the name of Jesus Christ. Psalm 50 and verse 2. Psalm 50 and verse 2. Now here it is. It says, out of Zion. What is this Zion? The perfection of beauty. The perfection of beauty. God will shine forth. It is a place where God will out of where God shines forth. That is where God radiates his glory and beauty from. 
If you came here with any kind of ugly situation, confused, butchered, battered, and tattered, I decree this hour, may the glory of God beautify your life. In the name of Jesus. Number five, it was a place where God did good to his people. It was a place where God did good to his people. The Bible speaking in Psalm 51 and verse 18. Psalm 51 and verse 18. The Bible says, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Is that Psalm 65 and verse number 4? Psalm 65 and verse number 4. Blessed is the man you choose and calls to approach you. Because that is where they approached him in Zion. That he may dwell in your courts. It says, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house. That is one way of saying, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of Zion. The good, it is a place of his goodness. It is the abode, the headquarters of the goodness of God. In Psalm 128 and verse number 5. Psalm 128 and verse number 5. The Lord bless you out of Zion. And may you see the goodness of Jerusalem all the days of your life. I decree this hour. Everything good is coming to you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Remember Psalm 84 verse number 11, isn't it? Psalm 84 verse number 11, the last part of that verse. Is it the last part? Yeah, it says no good thing will God withhold. Yeah. No good thing will God deny his children. Those who walk uprightly. It says every good and Every perfect gift comes from him. James 1 and verse 17. James 1 verse number 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Yes. In their case, he discharged it. That is the good he did to them. He discharged it from a place called Zion. Mm, number 6. It was a place where strength was imparted. It was a place of divine energization. That is where the weak found strength. Because the prophet said, let the weak say I am strong. So the moment you showed up in Zion with your kind of weakness, you received strength from there. Somebody's changing levels. In Psalm 84 and verse number 7. In Psalm 84 and verse number 7. The Bible says they go, hear this, from strength to strength. Who are these? Those who appear before God in Zion. They go from strength to strength. Every time they appear in Zion, there is a dimension of strength that is imparted upon them. I decree this hour that the weak are becoming strong in the name of Jesus. Now, you know 
that God spoke to his son in prophecy in Psalm 110, isn't it? Let's read from verse number one. Psalm 110, reading from verse number one, going down to two. The Lord said to my Lord, that is the father speaking to Jesus. The Lord, the Lord, Lord, there is all capital letters talking about God the Father. Said to my Lord, with capital L, the Father is talking to Jesus. What is he saying to him? Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now look, look at verse number two now. It says, the Lord shall send, hear this, the road of your strength out of where? Out of Zion. That is where the road of his power that parted the Red Sea, that collapsed the mighty walls of Jericho is resident. The road is kept in Mount Zion. It says, the Lord shall send it to you out of Zion. And when you receive this road of power, it says you shall rule in the midst of your enemies. Somebody shout hallelujah. Number seven, it was a place where God manifested his greatness. It was a place where God manifested his greatness. Psalm 99 and verse 2. Psalm 99 verse 2. The Lord is great. Where? In Zion. <laughs> that is where God Manifest his power. The Lord is great in Zion. It is a place of that demonstration of his power. And that is what they missed when they were taken away from the land. The result was what? Weeping. 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 Shedding of tears. Hallelujah. In Psalm 102, verse 16, Psalm 102, and verse number 16, for the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. He shall appear in his glory. When the children of Israel were taken away from this place called Zion, they felt sorry for themselves. The result was that they wept. They remembered the height from which they have fallen. They knew something was not right. They knew something was very, very wrong with them. Today, Zion speaks of our relationship with God and his church. So everything we are talking about concerning Zion, like the seven points I have given us, are also obtainable in the house of God and in our relationship with him. Is it making sense here? So we could say, therefore, that a dry bone Spiritually speaking, will speak 
of number one, a believer in a backslidden state. A dry bone as we see it in Ezekiel 37. Please let's be careful that about not just applying the scriptures physically, financially, and materially. The scriptures must also be applied spiritually. And that is the attention I would like to everyone to capture as we look at this. A dry bone is not just Israel in hopelessness. A dry bone is Israel away from God. So we are saying that in today's application, a dry bone will speak, number one, hear this, of a believer in a backslidden state. A believer in spiritual slumber, if you like. A believer who has lost spiritual sensitivity, spiritual vibrancy. A believer who cannot hear God anymore. A believer who cannot sense God anymore. A believer who has lost his spiritual senses. So he becomes a senseless man. A senseless fellow in his behavior. He becomes a careless personality in his spiritual life. The Bible speaking in Isaiah 42 verses 18 to 20. Isaiah 42 verses 18 to 20. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. The question is who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger, whom I sent, who is blind as he who is perfect, and blind as the Lord's servant. Verse number 20. Seeing many things, but you do not observe. He has become spiritually deaf, spiritually blind. He used to sense God talking to him. He used to have visions and dreams, manifestations of angels and other spiritual expressions but all that is gone. He's a dry bone. Number two, a dry bone will speak of a believer bewitched by the devil. A believer bewitched by the devil. And we are talking about people here Believers who started very well in their spiritual lives, but who end up being deceived because of false doctrines and false revelations, satanic and spiritual attacks on their spiritual lives. Paul talks about them in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. He said, Oh, foolish Galatians. So the whole church was bewitched by the devil. Paul believed in the existence of witchcraft. He says, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? Now hear this. 
that you should not obey the truth. When a believer who used to obey the truth is no longer obeying the truth, you must know that he has been bewitched. People think it is now higher revelation. No, sir. It's a bewitchment of the highest order. If you are no longer doing what you used to do as a believer, you used to fear God, you used to walk in holiness, you used to obey God and you are no longer doing those things, you must understand that a bewitchment has occurred upon your life. And Paul is bewildered. He's shocked. He's disappointed. Says, oh foolish Galatians. Mm. When a believer is behaving foolishly, you must understand that he has been bewitched. The spirit of stupor has come on him. All foolish Galatians who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Verse number 3. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Since you started very well, but you've gone down. You have been bewitched. That's a dry bone condition of a believer. Number three. A dry bone will also speak of a believer who loves the world and the things of the world rather than God and the things of God. We have so many of such. A believer who loves the world and the things of the world rather than God and the things of God. Now, the meaning is his priorities are upside down. He no longer values what he used to value. God and his kingdom are no longer his priority. When in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 33, Jesus taught us, he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But for him, the kingdom of God and his righteousness are no longer first priority. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 15, John is cautioning the believer. He says, do not love the world. Do not love the world. All the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Unfortunately, so many Christians today, though they continue going to church, they are not lovers of God per se, but they are lovers of the world and the things of the world. When you read verse number 16 of the same chapter, the Bible says, for all that is in the world, he talks to us about things that are in the world. What are they? The lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. 
and the pride of life. These are the three pillars that govern the worldly system. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And these are the major sources of the anxieties and the worries of the common man. What shall I eat? What shall I wear? Who is going to marry me? Where do I get a job? Where do I get a scholarship? And people become worried and wearied about these things. If we may please take this verse from the Amplified Classic Edition. What does it say? Yes. Now hear this. It says, for all that is in the world. What is in the world? The last of the flesh. And there is a definition of what that means. Craving for sensual gratification. If I don't have a car, I'm not Christian enough. Sensual gratification. It's like if I don't have something physical that people can admire or something better than what somebody has, maybe I'm not as successful. Craving for sensual gratification. And the last of the eyes, what are they? Greater longings of the mind. Greater longings of the mind. That does not need any further interpretation if you understand English. Greater longings, you have them in your mind. Things that you're longing for. Things that you have Jesus but you are not satisfied. No, there is something else you're longing for. Mm. And the pride of life, that is assurance in one's own resources or in the stability of earthly things. Pride of life. I have a better car than them. A better salary than them. So during home church meetings, you know, we move in this church, our practices, we move from home to home. So, you, you know, you admire someone, you say, wow, 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 this is, they, they look successful. And then you go to their house, you say, ah, this is the kind of house. I think I have, a, I have a better house. Pride of what? Pride of life. And out of that pride, you, what do you begin to say? You say, I think next week, can we have home church at our house? Somebody shout hallelujah. I don't know whether you've seen, you've seen some fellows, how they treat their car. Yeah, just watch them when they park the car outside there. The way they are parking the car is if they are parking a child. It's like they are parking their own baby. And then when they get out of the car, they go around it before they come to church. He's even late for church, but he has to go around the car. And if there is a scratch somewhere, then he gets his handkerchief and then. <laughs> Pride of life, sir. You are an idol worshiper. That is what you have just become. An idol worshiper. And then as you are moving away from the car, you look behind. The way a young man would admire a young lady. You look behind. Until you enter church. Until you miss the church step. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Rise on your feet. I want you to pray. Put the verse back there. Verse number 16. I want you to announce and to declare. Last of the flesh, 
lust of the eyes, and pride of life. You have no place in my life. You will never control me. I overcome you. I subdue you. I destroy you. Lift your voice. How many are praying online on ground? Lift your voice. Are you praying? Lift your voice. Wage war against the lust of the flesh. Wage war against the lust of the eyes. Wage war against the pride of life. Cancel them. Cancel their influence upon you. Cancel their influence upon you. Cancel their influence upon you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You shall not control me. Craving for sensual gratification. Greedy longings of the mind. Assurance in one's, in one's own resources or in the stability of earthly things. I cancel you in the name of Jesus. I cancel you in the name of Jesus. I cancel you in the name of Jesus. I destroy you in the name of Jesus. I scatter you in the name of Jesus. I uproot you in the name of Jesus. Shakata ragadala mamusa. Yakata rigade basuta rigadi. Shakata ragadala babusa. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Hallelujah. If you are failing to let go of sin, because you are saying, I can't do without it. You are a victim of these things. Hallelujah. Please be seated. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 10. The apostle Paul is giving a lament. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse number 10. It's talking about Demas. He says, let's begin from verse number nine, please. He says to Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly. Why? Because Demas, one of his minister partners, Demas has forsaken me. What happened? It says, he loved this present world. Probably he must have resigned from the ministry because there wasn't much coming from the ministry. He had other longings, worldly longings. So Paul says, I am all alone. I need you, Timothy, to come. Because this fellow has chosen to love this present world. And those who love the world and the things of the world are enemies of the cross. Dry bone will speak of a believer who no longer prays and studies the scriptures as he used to. In Acts chapter 6 and verse number 4, they said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the world. But this particular believer is no longer into this business. That is what he used to do. He continually gave himself to prayer. To the study of the word of God and the application of the same. But he no longer does it. 
he is in a dry bone condition in his spiritual life. A dry bone. We also speak of a believer who has lost, hear this, the fear of the Lord. When a believer loses the fear of the Lord, he lives recklessly. He begins to call right what he used to call wrong when his spiritual life was right. He begins to call right what he used to call wrong. Why? He has lost the sense of the fear of the Lord. And the Bible has defined what the fear of the Lord is in Proverbs chapter 8 and verse number 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. When a believer no longer has evil, you must know that he has lost what we call the fear of the Lord. When stealing at the office becomes habitual. When engaging in adultery and sexual immorality is done with the full knowledge of what God wants of you. You must know that you have lost the sense of the fear of the Lord. Look at Joseph. This is a man who told his brothers in, in Genesis 42 verse 18. Genesis 42 verse 18. He said, I fear God. Yeah. I fear God. And we can believe him because of how he reacted to the advances of Potiphar's wife for them to have sex together. Isn't it? In Genesis 39 verses 7 to 9. Genesis 39, verses 7 to 9. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, that is Mrs. Potiphar, cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. Lie with me. And history has it that this lady was very, very beautiful. So don't think that uh, she was a shabby looking old lady with seven children, you know. And that is why probably Joseph said, no, 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 I cannot do this. No, she was charming. Beautiful. Beautiful. And she never just made these advances without working on herself that particular day. So every time she was to advance toward Joseph, she made sure that she was in proper shape. Come on. And in verse number 8, Genesis 39, verse number 8, but Joseph refused. That is what the fear of God drives you to do. It drives you to refuse to sin. It builds in you perfect hatred for sin. You become a lover of righteousness and a hater of wickedness. Psalm 45 and verse number 7. Psalm 45, verse number 7. You have become a lover of righteousness and a hater of iniquity. Any day, be it in business, be it in the workplace, or anywhere you are, you become a lover of righteousness and a hater of wickedness. I'm talking to you, shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Dry bone. 
will speak of a believer who is lukewarm. When we say that someone is lukewarm, it means the fellow is neither hot nor cold. Lukewarmness is a mixture of hot and cold. So they, when they cancel each other out, the condition that comes out is called what? Lukewarmness. And it is a dangerous state to be because it is a state of compromise. You operate on what we call the borderline. The borderline. The borderline. The borderline. This is where you begin to say, please, let's be understanding. It's not, it's not everyone who can control themselves sexually. You know? Some people are just like that. So let's understand them. He has compromised. He never used to have that language before that. He has fallen off. I pray you shall not fall off. In the name of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 3 verses 15 to 16. Revelation chapter 3 verses 15 to 16. I know your works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. Verse 16. So then, because you are lukewarm. And neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That is Jesus speaking to his church. Jesus speaking to the believers. He says, if you assume the position of lukewarmness, you are not ready to work with me. He says, I will vomit you out if you don't change. And there are some of you that are in this kind of state. I know there are one or two people that are in each and every of the conditions I'm listing here. Listen, our subject is what? Igniting personal what? Revival. Revival. We need to check where we are spiritually. And like they wept, we must also weep and say, God, help us out. Help us out. Help. Now, we cannot continue deceiving ourselves. Let us not say it is well when it is not well. Hmm. I believe you have read Isaiah chapter 3, isn't it? Verses 10 to 11. Isaiah chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. The righteous, it shall be well with them. But look at the next verse. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill. If you call yourself a Christian, but you indulge in wickedness and you do it consciously knowing what the Bible says, it can never be well with you. I know we sang a song like that. The hymn that we sang, it, it was talking about it. Now you can sing that the whole day, sir. But if you attach yourself to wickedness, your destination is what? Illness. Wickedness leads to illness. There are no two ways about it, my friend. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. So what we are saying is a dry bone will speak of a believer who is lukewarm. A believer who is living a compromised Christian life. It will also speak of a believer who is no longer passionate for the things of God. 
that people are zealous for God, dedicated to the things of the Spirit for him is history. That is what he used to. He's no longer there. He has lost passion for the things of God. Listen, if the idea of coming to church on Sunday morning has become a struggle for you or something that is now a debate in your mind, should I go or not? Just know that you have been bewitched. It's true, sir. And there are people like that. It's the husband or the wife who will be saying, look, if you don't go to church with me, don't touch me for the next three weeks. <laughs> so because the fellow likes the things, oh, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> Come on. Sir, you are bewitched. You are bewitched. You are bewitched. And every bewitchment of that nature is ending here today. In the name of Jesus. A dry bone will speak of a believer who has lost touch with heaven. A believer who has lost touch with heaven. He has lost touch with the Zion of God as it were. He has lost touch with heaven. Praying is a struggle. Reading the Bible is a struggle. Waiting upon God for his instructions and guidance is a struggle. In Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 to 7. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 to 7. The Bible says trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on, his, on your own understanding. But for him he leans on his own understanding. It says in all your ways acknowledge him. He has problems with that. He has lost touch with heaven. He has lost touch with heaven. Mm. A dry bone will also speak, hear this, of a believer who no longer trembles at God's word. A believer who no longer trembles at God's word. That is, the word of God is no longer his final authority. The word of God is no longer his final authority. He no longer has respect for the word of God. So even where people tell him that, look, this is what the Bible says, he will tell you that I know that. But let's talk reality. That is what he says. I know what the Bible says, but let's talk reality. Because for him, what God says is not reality. Isaiah 66 and verse number 2 talks about those who tremble at the word of God. Look at the last part of that verse. It says on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Who trembles at my word. That is what God says must be what it should be. You become a trembler at the word of God. The moment you, you, you lose this trembling aspect toward the word of God, you have become what Ezekiel calls a dry bone. A dry bone. A dry bone. 
Lastly, if we may, a dry bone will speak of a believer whose love for God has grown cold. And several of them are listening to me, both online and in church. A believer whose love for God has grown cold. He has lost his first love for God, as it were. When everything was okay with him spiritually, he never wanted to injure God in any way. He never wanted to disappoint God in any way. But all of a sudden, he has lost all that. It doesn't bother him whether God is happy or not. It doesn't bother him, sir. It doesn't bother him. Unfortunately, that is the sad state of affairs for so many of God's people in the church. In Matthew 24 and verse number 12. And Revelation chapter 2 verses 4 to 5. Matthew 24 and verse number 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. We are in the dispensation that Jesus was talking about. Today, for some people, church attendance depends on who is preaching. So they will check, is senior pastor there? No, he's not there. Okay, I'm not coming. No. Yeah. Yeah. If a program or a service is not conducted by the senior pastor, you will not see him. Not online, not on ground. He has become an idol worshiper. He has created a faction and a God for himself. And if that is your behavior, you are bewitched. You need deliverance. You are bewitched. And probably you are under the siege of the spirit of foolishness. They also call it stupidity. Yes, now. He said, are you so foolish? Have we not read that in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3? Are you so foolish? Give us verse number 3, please. Are you so foolish that your church attendance depends on who is preaching? Are you so foolish that you have to be threatened before you can come to the house of God? Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish? That for you it doesn't matter what God thinks. Whether you behave right or not. It doesn't matter to you how, what God thinks about your behavior. Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish that you are not in talking terms with your husband or with your wife and yet you want to be talking to God? Are you so foolish? You want to create problems 
with everyone. You want to be at loggerhead with everyone around you and yet you call yourself a lover of God. You know, I love God. Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish that you can go for days without having proper time to pray and commune with God? You can go for days without having proper time to study the word of God. Which is your life. Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish that you are now just running around for God. Working for God but not working for him. You have no time to sit with God. You claim to work for. Are you so foolish? Ask your neighbor, I hope you are not such foolish. And so many people are fast becoming spiritual dry bones. It's terrible. The rate at which people, many Christians, are becoming Spiritual dry bones is alarming. It's an alarming rate. We need to rescue the situation. And it begins with this message. It begins. Now, some of you are victims of these addictions. Pornography. Yes, you may look gentlemanly and gentlewomanly, but you know that your phone is killing you, sir. Your phone is killing you. Come out. Come out in the open. You see, in Luke 15 and verse number 17, my God. Luke 15, verse 17, going down to 19. But when he came to himself, who is this? This prodigal son. Who ran away from the presence of his father and he went to a far country. Where he wasted all that he had on reckless living. He departed from the presence of God. He departed from Mount Zion as it were. And when you do that, don't be surprised when you find yourself dining with pigs. He began to eat pigs food. When you see a man eating with pigs because he's calling them his friends and associates. You must know that something has gone wrong with his spiritual life. Is it making sense here? When you see a man fighting with his wife, a woman fighting with her husband, you must know something has gone wrong, sir. But when he came to himself, that is a place to come to, my friend. Come into yourself, NIV, please. NIV. When he came to his senses, it is time to come back to our spiritual senses. To the place of discernment and acknowledging that look, there is something wrong with me. How come I'm no longer waking up at midnight? Something I used to do so easily and cheaply. What happened? You find out that along the line, the devil began to preach to you that so far, you have been on this journey of midnight prayers for how long? 
and you told yourself six months. Okay, now, how far will you go before God can answer you? So, ah, I think, I think it's true. There's nothing that has happened really. The situation is even worsening. And that is why you began to slow down. Sir, it was a bewitchment. Maybe your breakthrough was in your seventh month or eight months or the ninth month of your midnight praying. But you gave up. That spirit of miscarriage and abortion, I cancel it in the name of Jesus Christ. I said I cancel it in the name of Jesus. In Psalm 137 and verse number 1, they sat down and wept. It is time to weep like Israel did at the rivers of Babylon. It's time to reignite our personal revival. We need to go back, back to God, back to Zion, back to the place of intimacy with God, the place of depth with God, depth in prayer, depth in fellowship with the Holy Ghost, depth in the study of the scriptures, depth in holiness. It is time to go back. It is time to retrace our way back to fellowship. Hallelujah. So many of us are just going through the motions. And you know it. That the Christian life is not a joy. It is not a joy. It is not a joy. Because you can't sense God anymore. No. There is no encounter with God. You pray for three hours. You, you, you come out there. There is no new revelation that came to you. There is nothing to show about your life that you were in his presence. Sir, there is something wrong. There is something wrong. Some dry bone must come back to life. Some dry bone must come back to life. <laughs> now, in, uh, in Joel chapter 2, we don't have much time, but let's look at verses 12 to 16. Mm. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart. With fasting. With what? Weeping. 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 It's time to weep over our spiritual lives. You have been weeping over your financial life. You have been weeping over other aspects of your life. To the abandon of your spiritual life. But this time around, sir, it is time to weep over our spiritual lives. Things are not okay. Let us not live in pretense. Let us not, you see, you have been pretending too much. Some of you, you look Christian when you're in church like this. Yeah, but your husband knows that you're not a Christian. Yeah, you see, you see, there are husbands who have told me that, Pastor, I don't know whether my wife is, is, is a Christian. Yes. I've had to ask some people, is this fellow born again? And they have said, no, no, we don't agree. With her. Even the husband or the wife will be saying, I also, I'm not sure. <laughs> this tendency, if I may call it, of calling yourself a Christian 
and not living like one is an embarrassment to God and his kingdom. It's an embarrassment, my friend. If, <laughs> now, Peter, you know, was an, was an apostle to, to the Jews. Paul was an apostle sent to the Gentiles. Now, hear this. One day, Peter went to minister among the Gentile brethren. And you see, according to the Jewish, typical Jewish protocol, a Jew and a Gentile must not eat from the same plate. Because the Gentile is unclean. But there was that liberty among the believers. Because they said, now this is not Judaism, this is Christianity. Is it making sense? They said we are equal in Christ. Whether you are Greek or Jew. It says, Christ is rich unto all. Those were the teachings of those old prophets, of old apostles, Paul and, and the like. Now hear this. So when Peter went among the Gentiles, he was eating with them. That's in the book of Galatians. He was eating, Peter eating with the Gentiles. Now hear this. When some Jewish brethren visited the place from Jerusalem, the church headquarters in Jerusalem, the Bible says when they came and it was time to eat, Peter recused himself for fear of the Jewish brethren. So Paul said, and this is why I said all that. Paul said, Peter, if you being a Jew pretend like Gentiles, why should Gentiles live like Jews? Galatians 2 and verse number 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, Galatians 2.14, before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles, you are pretending. We expect the Gentile brethren to be pretending because we know them as Gentiles. So we can forgive them if they pretend here and there. Because Christ is still working on them. But you, are you not the chief apostle? If you, being a Jew, live in the man of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? He's simply saying, if you call yourself a Christian, be genuinely Christian. But there are so many of us that are called believers, but we live our lives, we manage our homes, we run our finances and resources, we run our lives, our careers, our businesses, everything else like non-believers. 
The non-believers will lie every step of the way in their business dealings and transactions. The believer is also doing the same. And I'm saying that kind of pretense, that kind of life is an embarrassment to God and his kingdom. And in that sense, I don't know how many dry bones I'm talking to now. Because the message is, Ezekiel 37 and verse number 4. <laughs> what did God say to Ezekiel? He said, prophesy to these bones. What are you going to say to them? All oh, dry bones hear the word of the Lord. And I hope that some dry bones are hearing the word of God now. We have Christians today that enter into relationships and they are busy already fornicating before they are declared husband and wife. Where are we going? There's a problem, sir. Ask your neighbor, don't you think there is a problem? Yeah. That, that, yeah. Entering into a relationship is not the same as entering into marriage. Am I right here? Yeah. In case you didn't know, that is how it is. That you have agreed to marry each other and you commence courtship does not mean you can be sleeping with yourselves before marriage. And there's a lot of that in the church. You are not married, but you are doing what married people do sexually. So there is a problem. You are looking at me it's as if you don't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> Can I tell you this? God wants to do big things with us. But he's demanding holiness. Leviticus 19 and verse 2. He's demanding holiness. Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy. That we should be holy is a sharp arrangement. That is, you have no choice in the matter. That is, if your interest is to walk with him. So the question is, what must we do? I'm sure so many of us are saying, Pastor, you have spoken enough. Now tell me what I must do. Because that is the question they asked Peter, isn't it? In Acts 2 and verse 37. They received the message. They were convicted. Acts 2, 37. So they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Four things very quickly. Number one, acknowledge your backsliding. Don't pretend. Don't fake it. The Bible says in Proverbs 28 and verse number 13, Proverbs 28 and verse 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper. 
but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. God is willing to have mercy on us, but are we willing to confess our sins? In Psalm 32 and verse number 5, Psalm 32 and verse number 5, the psalmist was a clever boy. He said, I acknowledged my sin to you. Yeah. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He forgave because the fellow confessed. 1 John chapter 1 verse number 9. 1 John chapter 1 verse number 9, there's an assurance there that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number two, be truly sorry about your situation and engage in genuine repentance. Be truly sorry about the state of your spiritual life and engage in genuine repentance. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 to 10. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 to 10. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. You see, when truth is being told, people are made sorry, isn't it? And that is where we started from, that be truly sorry about your situation. But the issue is not just about becoming sorrowful, but you need to sorrow unto repentance. So we are talking about sorrow that leads to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godless sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. That is what we are saying. Be truly sorry. And with that sorrow, engage in genuine repentance. Number three, be humble, contrite, and heartbroken. Be humble, contrite, and heartbroken. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. Isaiah 57, verse 15. You see, brokenness is really about acknowledging your helplessness without God. That's brokenness. That's brokenness. It takes humility to say things are not okay. Things are not okay. It takes humility to acknowledge that you need help. Some of you, your situation is such that just merely confessing in church in a two-minute prayer may not work. You may need the help of another person in dealing with certain situations. And that you know. In any case, have you not been confessing severally about your involvement in pornography? Why are you not stopping? Come on. 
I know somebody might be saying, maybe my wife must have told pastor. Why, are he, why, why is he talking about, no, no. I speak by the Holy Ghost. I speak by the Holy Ghost. The matter we are dealing with here is so serious that you need some radical measures if you are ever going to overcome what you are dealing with. Jesus put it this way, isn't it? Matthew chapter 5, reading from 28, going down to 30. But I said to you, look at that, whoever looks at a woman to last for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, New Testament is stricter and more difficult than the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, you were said to have sinned if you were caught in the act of adultery, for example. But this time around, Jesus says, even just looking, you have looked once, you see that, okay, there's a human being passing, and then you want to look again. That looking again, it's a problem. Uh -uh. Because when you looked, you saw that a human being is passing. And then you wanted to, that second look. Now put the verse there. <laughs> oh my God. Because the question is, what else do you want to see? But that's not the point I want to make. Verse 29. Verse 29. Now look, look at this. If your right eye causes you to sin, Jesus says, plug it out and cast it from you. He says, if your right eye is causing you to sin, what do you do? You pluck it out. The question is, is it easy to pluck out an eye? No. In other words, Jesus is simply saying, he, of course, he's not meaning that you physically pluck out your eye or you or cut off your right hand as he will tell us in verse number 30. But he's simply saying there may be need to take painful, radical, physical measures in dealing with the matter of sin. Radical. Radical may mean for some people not watching television anymore until you have overcome the temptation of watching certain things on television. For some people, it may mean operating a phone that has no internet for some time. But if, what if I want to WhatsApp you now, SMS me. SMS facility is still there, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, there are people that are not on WhatsApp. As a matter of discipline, they are not on WhatsApp. But you, with all your problems, <laughs> the way you would dissect this thing and when they send them, they even added you into certain groups you never exited because you like what they are posting there. But you know that it is not right scripturally. 
Jesus talked about plucking out your right eye. Verse number 30, he talks about cutting off your right hand. If your right hand causes you to sin, what do you do, sir? Cut it off. Not physically. He's simply saying there may be need for some painful, radical measures that must be taken in dealing with certain things in your life. Somebody shout hallelujah. And if you're a married man and you have these problems that we are talking about, your wife will be better placed to propose what radical measures you should take. In any case, if it is not being on WhatsApp and what, and your wife is okay with it, that should be fine because she's the one you should be most concerned about in terms of communication. Is it making sense? But if you say, no, I, have, I still have to be on WhatsApp because you still like contacting those ladies, you have a problem. And sometimes the lack of respect for God, for the pastor and the church that some people have is, is, is so shocking that people can have no respect for God, no respect for the pastor, no respect for the church. Because the issue is, if your scandals come out in the public, who is going to be embarrassed? God, your pastor, and the church. Is it making sense here? Ask Kareba, are you listening? Do you understand what is being said here? So in all humility and brokenness of heart, you say, Lord, here I am. I cannot help myself. I need you. I need you to help me. Psalm 51, verse 17. Yeah. Adding to the other verse that we already talked about. Psalm 51, verse number 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Now, some of you that continue mis misbehaving, maybe apart from all these verses we are reading to you, <laughs> maybe we should remind you that you are not getting younger. You are getting older. Is it making sense? There was a day when you were 25, you are now 49. Sir, you are becoming an old man. Do you want to continue behaving like that? If anything, why don't you leave that to your children? Is it you who should be behaving like that? At 49, you are still struggling with masturbation, struggling with pornography. What is your problem? If you are the one doing those things, how about your children? What are they going to be doing? <laughs> and that is not to say that children should be doing those things, but these things are commonly a struggle with young people because they are going through phases and all that, but after they are taught, they come out of it. But you are refusing to come out of it. Is it making sense? 49. You are becoming an old man. At 53. Huh? We should be sitting down with you at 53. 
to try to sort out your marital issues. Are you sure? Come on. Do you have brain? At 53, we are, we are sitting down with you. No, sir. You know the Bible says you shall love your wife. Tell your neighbor, the Lord forbid. Somebody shout hallelujah. Don't listen to those who have been lying to you. That you know, sister, at 56, you look 26. They are lying. My friend, 56 is what? 56. <laughs> They say, ah, you are not growing. Come on. How can somebody at 56 not be growing? <laughs> and that is what is making some people misbehave. Oh, so I'm still like 26. That's when now you go into this pornography. Because it's the younger people that are being tempted with those things. So because people have been lying to you, say, you know, you look 26. It's, paint your nails, you paint this, you look Jezebelic at 59. At 59. Leave those things to young people. You are an old woman. Somebody shout hallelujah. Lift your right hand and shout dry bones must live again. Lastly, number four. Number four. Show forth fruits worthy of repentance. If you say you are repenting in your life about the state of your spiritual life, show forth fruits in keeping with repentance. God said, actually Jesus said in Revelation 2, and verse number five. What did he say? He said, remember therefore. From where you have fallen. Repent. And then he said, after you have repented. Do the first works. That's the fruit I'm talking about. If you used to wake up midnight, that is the fruit. I'm talking about. The fruit of your repentance. If you were never as consistent in your reading of the Bible, you go back to consistency. You go back to consistent praying. You go back to consistent and continuous kingdom service. Those are fruits in keeping with your repentance. It says, repent and do the first works. Put the verse back there, please. Repent and do the first works. Or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So everyone must have a rethink, a reconsideration. What is it that I used to do 
so cheaply in my spiritual walk with Jesus that I'm no longer doing. Why is it that I'm losing this excitement about the things of God, about prayer, about the start of the scriptures, about obeying the word of God and practicing it in my daily life? Why am I losing that excitement? Because in Psalm 1 and verse number 2, the Bible says his delight is in the law of the Lord. Why am I losing that excitement, that joy? That joy of looking forward to being in the house of God. Like the psalmist will tell us, he said, when shall I meet with God? Psalm 42 and verse 2. Psalm 42 and verse 2. It says, when shall I come and appear before God? You are not looking forward to it, sir. Why? Then when you deal with it, then you make up your mind to say that this is going to be my joy. I was glad when they said unto me, isn't it? Let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122 and verse number one. May we please rise on our feet. <laughs> Are we able to lift our hands to appreciate God for his word? Let's appreciate him. That's where we start from. Let's